Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Psycho Vertical Podcast, a weekly question and answers about gear, techie stuff, and uh, for climbing, mountaineering, and general adventure tearing. I'm your host, Andy Kirkpatrick. Uh, this week, we're going to discuss keeping your hands and feet warm and some sort of communication technology stuff. Uh, uh, what is today? Today is um, uh, Monday, I think, and uh, I'm off to Saudi Arabia uh, next uh, next week so uh, I'm decided to do like one podcast for the next few next next few weeks so this will be I'll just do that this uh, techie sort of podcast uh, for the next few weeks because I've got lots to lots to do like I spend I seem to have spent the last few months complaining about doing illustrations for my latest book and in the process I've got like a commission to do some <laughs> illustrations for somebody else's book so uh, I'm doing that. It was quite an interesting book. It's a book about someone who tried, actually a friend of mine who who wanted to do the seven summits, but the seven uh, most classic summits. Uh, you know, so he did the uh, the nose, Amadablam, um, uh, did a route on Mount Cook, uh, and uh, some other camera, um, Alpamayo. What else did he do? Alpamayo. Climbed a route in South Georgia. So anyway, so but um, uh, it's a friend of mine called Charles and the nose. So so I, did, I climbed the nose with him, and uh, he's a really uh, really cool, interesting guy. And I think I think the book will be really good. Anyway, so he uh, Vertebra Vertebra are publishing his book. I don't know what it's called. Something to do with the Seven Summits. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so um, so that should be interesting. I think that's out coming out soon. Should also give a shout out for. Classic rock or hard rock. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Anyway, that hard rock book. Uh, check that out. Uh, Vertebra Graphics. Anyway, they should be they should be sponsoring this podcast. So uh, I had another I had another interesting. Oh yeah, that was in, that was a. I'm going to keep my rambling down because I've only got. I've, I only have so many minutes a month I can upload podcasts, and I've only got 32 minutes left. So I'll keep the rambling down. But that just reminded me the seven summits. I wanted to make a TV program called the Seven Summits. Um, which is seven somethings. Like if you don't if you don't come from a hole, you don't know what I'm talking about. But in hole, they say summit instead of something. So it's like so. I was climbing with a, a famous comedian, um, and we were climbing some route. And I was like, "We're nearly at the summit. We're nearly at the summit." And he was like, "The sum something what?" Like I said, "We're nearly at the summit." Anyway, so yeah, good old hole kind of language. So. Um, so I'll begin with my uh, first question. So the question is from uh, Anita, and it says, <laughs> um, uh, I have a question. How to improve circulation and fingers and toes? I climb ice in the winter uh, here in eastern Canada, Quebec, 
I'll do the rest of this in Quebecois. I get cold. I get cold as fuck. Ooh, language. Uh, I have all the gloves, the G2SM boots, and yet my toes are still cold. This past weekend, we climbed at minus 20 and literally felt like I was going to pass out and my fingers are still tingling. Is it me? I'm a woman with bad circulation. I'm a woman with bad circulation, in brackets, is this common? I don't think I have a condition. This season, I made an effort to bring a bottle of hot tea to drink a lot, to snack, to stay hydrated and fed, yet uh, I still froze. So then she put supplements, question mark, enemas, question mark. Do I just give up ice climbing, question mark, or should I suck? So, so this is an interesting one. Uh, I know I keep I keep mentioning uh, going to Denali in the winter time. I do apologise, but it was it's kind of irrelevant here. In that my wife Vanessa uh, was one of these people where she was always she said she was always cold, and you know she didn't like the cold and all this kind of stuff. So what do you do? You take her to Denali in the winter time where it gets down to minus fifty. And you're up there basically for two months living in like, you know, you have to sleep in three sleeping bags and maybe more than sleep. Anyway, but you're in this like super, super cold temperatures where you're going to get frostbite, you know, within within seconds, you know, 30 seconds, you get frostbite. And she said she wasn't really, well, she, got, she did get frostbite. But apart from that, she, that, that was her fault. But she, uh, you know, she said she was like warm the entire time. So I would say that her problem, the same problem with a lot of people is they just don't know how to dress properly for uh, for the cold, and um, which is down to uh, like I said, the the biggest mistake people make with their hands is they think that gloves are going to keep their hands warm, which they're not. Like gloves are a complete waste of time. Like if you see any some some kind of wad like you know minus twenty on the Grand Jurassic and he's just got his like thin gloves on. Like, like generally when you're climbing in such cold temperatures, like I used to have, like I've climbed in like very, well, kind of thinnish gloves, like the old sort of, the best, the, one of the best gloves they ever made was the old black diamond sort of dry tool glove, but they don't they make any more, but, um, you know, quite a thin glove. But basically your hands are absolutely frozen. Now I'm lucky I've never had hot aches in my life, and I would say that's down to knowing how to dress properly, uh, which is, you know, maybe not, maybe I've got like amazing circulation, but, but basically when it's super cold and you're wearing thin gloves, which you might need to do if you're going to do like really technical kind of winter climbing is you can, after like years of climbing, you can basically can tell when you're getting frostbite, which is, um, which is not an easy, you know, it's, it, like when you, it, anyway, it's, but you can sort of tell when you're getting frostbite, so you're always basically uh, monitoring your hands the whole time. And you, uh, like when I was doing, if you're doing like sort of very like more technical, you know, grade, you know, grade five, grade six kind of mixed climbing in like super cold temperatures, then I used to wear like a thin pair of, thinnish pair of like leathery uh, palmed sort of soft shell gloves, which they weren't waterproof, like I've, never never wear waterproof gloves and over the top of them I had a pair of the like a pair of mitts that I could like push my hat push my palm and my thumb and my uh, fingers out so I would be like basically having this like two two glove system 
where when it was technical, I could climb with my my hands out, my fingers out, and if I had to put any gear in, I could I could do it with my fingers with these gloves on. They were thin enough for that, but they were warm. But they were thick enough to give me some kind of insulation, and also. You always need to keep the metal off your fingers and you also keep the, need to keep the snow off your fingers so you can brush the snow off. And then as soon as it was um, any, you know, as soon as the angle was less or whatever, it wasn't, it wasn't technically difficult, I would immediately like flip my fingers back into my mittens. So I had this kind of, the, the, you know, it's going to be a slight bulkier system. But I found with that system I could climb in pretty, um, you know, pretty cold temperatures, minus... 15 you know whatever kind of temperatures and that and that worked really really well but it's actually quite hard to get the right combination of gloves to do that like I, I even end up like making my own making my own mittens because I don't I, I don't want I don't want mittens where just my fingers stick out you know the classic fingerless glove flipper mitt now I would say like they are still really really good the flipper mitts but the problem with the most of the flipper mitts is they're either badly designed or they um, they're made out of that kind of thin fleece material. And a, a big thing for me is I want all my gloves and all my clothes. I want to be able to brush the snow off them immediately. So if you're like if you're like daggering up a snow slope and you have those kind of gloves on and they're a fleece, then they're just going to sort of wet out and fill with snow and everything else. So they're they're uh, you know like like my preferred mitten would always be like a like a, a shell with fiber pile on the inside or some some kind of synthetic insulation so um so it's, it's very hard to find a flipper mitt that's made out of anything apart from fleece or membrane fleece which is a which is a, a real shame really and uh so so the only alternative like the the you know the do it all kind of alternative for me for me if i was if i was climbing in uh you know climbing well basically if, I, if i'm climbing anywhere unless it's like a proper proper technical sort of winter climbing i would i would generally wear a pair of mittens which are quite big and like sort of fiber fill kind of mittens you know like kind of expedition kind of expedition kind of mitts and I have them attached to myself with some bungee cord just to my el where my elbow is, and then I would just I would just uh, whip whip them off like I would just climb with them like that uh, with no with nothing on the inside just my bare hands. And as soon as I got to anything where I where I had to put an ice screw in or whatever, I would just whip my hands out uh, bare hands and uh, put the put the screw in, put some gear in, whip them back on again, and carry on going. And because because they're um, fiber fill, like ideally you want ones which have like f fiber pile palms or some kind of not fiber fill because a fiber like you know synthetic fill stuff because that's actually quite it's there's a, there's a lot there's no friction so basically it feels like there's kind of movement on your palm you want your, you want the your ice axe and the leathery kind of material and then the lining all to be sort of also all to be like sticking together ideally uh like montaigne made me some really good gloves which were very they almost i don't think they had anything in the palm they were mitts they had nothing in the palm at all i think it was almost just like the the grippy stuff and they weren't made out of leather because the leather could often freeze as well that's a bit of a problem um so yes yeah, so i would have said, i would always say that is like to is just to go for like a really good pair of mitts and just ignore all the gloves like the gloves are just a waste of time 
And if you're doing like technical climbing in super cold weather, then I would also potentially recommend getting some uh, like industrial latex gloves. You know, like the ones you can buy in B&Q and hardware stores. They're usually like, like a black a black material, and they're actually rubber. So they actually act, they act, they act like a vapor barrier, like a vapor barrier glove. And you just wear them on your hands, and they air they stop your hands, the sweat from going from your hands into the into the mitten. And if there's any moisture in the mitten, it won't, it won't stick to your fingers. Uh, your hands have a little bit more of a little bit more grip. Like you could try some of the slightly thicker ones that people wear, and. Uh, and, and that actually works quite well. Like I would, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't bother with that if you're going to do like a multi-day trip potentially, because it's probably not good to have your hands in rubber gloves for like multiple days. Uh, and uh, one last thing with your uh, mitt system is you want the mitt. So when they're hanging from your wrist or from your elbow, like if, if you have them hanging from your elbow or the other way is to have some cord that somehow goes up, to, like pull the, pull the, pull the, when you're not using the, the, the gloves, the mitts, pull them over over your shoulder so they're hanging underneath your arms. If you don't want them to fill with snow, it's spin drifty. So they always want to be hanging kind of more down or like parallel, if that makes sense. So a lot of a lot of mates have like a like a little hook, a little um, clip loop on the fingertips so they can hang down on the back of your harness. You don't want them to fill with snow when you're climbing. So you just kind of kind of work out a system where when you take them off, they don't fill with snow because you don't want to put your hands into snow. But even if you generally, if those kind of mitts are so warm, it doesn't really matter. So you can put things like stick them in your hat, stick them in your mouth, you know, stick one glove in your mouth, melt one mitten in your mouth, do your stuff, put it back in again or whatever. So there's no like perfect option. But I would say, in my experience, all gloves, you know, are kind of a waste of time. You're gonna get you're gonna get cold hands, and you know, it doesn't matter how amazing they are. And also, gloves are more expensive. They're cheaper to re- they're more expensive to replace. And a you know a good a decent pair of you know expedition you know black diamond you know whatever um, you know are good. I think the last the, the last mitts I had I had these giant ones made by again this company called Wiggies. They're not sponsored by Wiggies. Uh, they make some really cheap, uh, really cheap but very very warm um, uh, mittens that have that seem to work quite well even in like cold temperatures. And that's like Wiggies Wiggies Like they're really. They're like really low tech looking. They're like more industrial, industrial stuff. And some people get away with wearing those kind of, kind of leather gloves. You know, you see people wearing like the leather kind of ski gloves. But I think whatever whatever it is, either got to fit. It's much harder to get a glove to fit than a, compared to a mitten. And you don't have too many layers. Like I, I, I never wear liner gloves. You know, I never wear all these kind of layers because you have to be able to hold your ice axes. Like it makes a massive difference being able to not grip do a death grip on your ice axes if your gloves are too thick so it's the you know the grip the grippiness is um is super important i'd also like look at how warm your body is um look at keeping your wrists warm you lose a lot of heat out of your wrists so you know make some like wrist warmers out of um some some power stretch or something that's a, that's a good idea uh some people um if you've got like a really old sort of fleece then some and one thing you can do is you can actually just cut the sleeves off and sew them into something else so say you've got like a, a base layer like you know like a, a decent kind of base layer is you can just take the sleeves off another base layer or another like thin fleece and you can just sew that so you've got two sleeves 
So, wait, so instead of the classic like body warmer, you've got lots of layers on your body and less on your arms. You do you flip it. So you have because you don't want you don't want to get really really hot when you're um, ice climbing, mixed climbing because everything will everything will steam up and everything else. So you can actually put more insulation on your arms, even if you just put it on your forearms. So just like play, you know, just pl play around with it really. Uh, make sure your your layers are, are kind of not too tight. Like a lot of people wear these, like look really sporty, like they're going like downhill skiing or something. But you want you, you know, you don't don't make make sure everything's not too tight uh, on your upper body. You have to be able to move comfortably and um, you know, like carry a belay jacket, like change into your belay jacket. Maybe have a second pair of mitts, change into your mitts. Uh, you know, don't ever don't, don't let yourself get cold ever you know as soon as you get cold that's it you know if you're static for more if you're static to the point where you're going to get cold then you need to start jumping around dancing around or you need to be in your sleeping bag or or whatever so when it comes to feet the number one reason people have cold feet i think is their boots are too small for them uh if your boots are too small you've got them like super technical then they're gonna your feet are gonna get cold probably just, just have a quick cheap break hang on a minute mm -mm 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 -mm. I always like make a cup of tea before I do this, and I always goes cold. So, so yeah, so having socks which are too small—I mean, having boots which are too small—is a problem. Uh, if that's not the problem, uh, like if if they are a bit too small, then look into wearing like thinner socks. Uh, you know, it's a kind of bit obvious, really. But the old classic, you know, wearing like a thin pair of socks and a big, massive, thick pair of socks. Personally, I don't think they, that works so well with a lot of the modern boots. Like, I think the uh, the Sportivas, like the G2 SMs and things, I don't te I don't actually think they're designed... I, I feel like they're designed more to work almost like a rock boot. So you don't want this, like, ginormous amount of socks in there. Because the boots themselves should be warm enough, uh, you know, like, without, without having to put loads and loads of socks on. Uh, maybe like I remember th I think I said like was it last week a week before like you know maybe get some bag balm like put bag balm on your feet make sure your feet in good good condition you could think about using some vapor barrier socks you might not have enough room I would probably again check out <laughs> wiggies.com and get some of the wiggy socks which are like a synthetic sock uh, the, the the I think the company I was trying to remember the other day that made vapor barrier socks is a company called Vapotherm, which are in Canada or Alaska, and they also do like a vapor barrier mitten, and that that would that would that I expect they're very warm, and they're they're again designed to avoid um, moisture going into the insulation and sort of wet wetting it out. So I check them out. They're a kind of very obscure company, Vapotherm, and they do like a sock which is made of fleece, which is like a vapor barrier sock, but it's a fleece one, and you just wear you just wear that next to next to your feet. Uh, to, another way to keep your f legs warm is consider wearing more trousers like even wearing two pairs of you know just just like get up the insulation on your on your lower legs uh like some sometimes if you just put on two pairs of waterproof trousers you suddenly find like you're like a lot warmer than you were before uh you know again even if you've got like thin if you know even if you've got boots with thin socks on just get some old socks and cut them off and make sort of like leg warmers out of them so they cover the lower part of your leg and like even like watch your knees like your knees don't have any any 
really any they don't have any muscle on them or anything so your knees can you can leave i feel like you can lose quite a lot of heat out of your knees which is really weird but often your knees are pressing against the ice as well and uh, i know when i'm when i'm bivying i often find my knees get really cold in my sleeping bag so i often put like my mitts like uh over my over my knees to try and keep them warm um but yeah but and uh, but get a neat if you're trying these things get back to us and see see if any work but generally it's it's like the simplest things that work like people are looking at you know some like some good mitts like uh m- m- um uh mammoth makes some quite cool mitts they make a cool like lobster lobster kind of mitt and they make some you know cool like insulated expedition mitts uh, but generally, I think it's you. You probably find you you could t- you could go with a like a hundred and fifty dollar like all singing all dancing Gore-Tex glove that like Black Diamond make. But you might find that a fifteen dollar like mitt for someone working in a freezer <laughs> freezer place uh, might actually be might actually be warmer. So yeah, so that's that's my advice. Um, see what what else? What, see what the time is. Uh, oh God, I've only got. So we've gone. We've only got. <laughs> We're on the clock. So, uh, right. So the next question is from Jared or Jared or Jared. Um, uh, I ended up finding a podcast. Great stuff. You ask people sending questions. So in an effort to feed the content monster, it is a monster. What are your thoughts on how technology in brackets, PLBs, communications, uh, SAR, is changing the responsibility of the sport to be prepared for self-extraction? Does it make a difference to know there is a possibility of a rescue? Um, yes, yes, I think it. I think it does. Um, like, well, well, first of all, I'll cover the technologies, the technology side. So I've been on, you know, I've been going on trips like a long time, uh, like since like nine, 1998 was like the first ever proper kind of trip you went to a remote place. Uh, we went to Patagonia in the winter time, and this was before the internet, before anything. And basically, I didn't ring home for like a whole month. And I think my wife thought I'd died or something. There was no way to communicate with anybody, really. There was like one telephone. And you know, it was just like a Argentina, even 98. It was like, it seemed like a long, long time ago. So I think the first trip I went on was someone had a satellite phone. I went to Alaska to the Ruth Gorge in like 2003 or something. And we had a satellite phone. And then from then on, like like more and more sort of technology started appearing. And when I went to Greenland, we had like two satellite phones. And you thought, you know, then I went on trips when you had, you know, you had like all sorts of technology. You had like an E-Ban and all this stuff you could like, you know, you could send bigger files. And uh, then we had like, you know, you have like EPEBs and, uh, you know, the spot, spot devices and all this kind of stuff. And I think what's quite, what's very important if you go on a trip, is to be there, is to be... Like, I don't believe in... The, I'm not necessarily fully... Like, I'm, I'm often very wary of people codifying things into, like, the idea of balance. Like, oh, yeah, life's all about balance. Uh, like, personally, I don't like that idea. I like the I like the idea of whatever you're doing, you have to be completely doing it, doing it. Like, like kind of a Jap- Japanese kind of thing. You know, you're you're... You're here, you know. You're a you're a climber. That's what you're doing. You're not like a dad or a husband or a, you know, whatever. You are, you are here 100 percent, and you are climbing this mountain or you're doing this trip. And the only people you should be thinking about most of the time 
is is the people you're with and thinking about them. So if you go on a trip and you have a, a mobile, you have a not a mobile phone, you have a, a satellite phone, and people are constantly ringing home all the time. Sometimes you go on a trip and you have all this like lots of uh, free data or lots of you know lots of minutes on a satellite phone, and you know people are ringing up all the time and they're sending their emails and they're getting messages and they're and people are you know stressing them out and uh you know i remember i once met Boga ausland who is uh you know this whole thing's been blowing up at the moment about thinking of brady you know what he did in antarctica or whatever who's not really bothered um and uh anyway Boga ausland is like you know the real deal kind of you know, there's no kind of polar exploring anywhere, but, you know, long distance walking in the cold kind of person. And he had this story where he was, uh, I think he was trying to ski from Siberia to Canada. He was going to be the first person to do it solo, unsupported. And he was like, you know, two months, three months, however long it was, it was a hell of a long time, all by himself, you know, scary polar bears, you know, it's hardcore stuff like the North Pole. Anyway, so he he gets his satellite phone and he rings home and he's like, oh God, you know, my, my pulk is starting to break apart and all these things going wrong. And his wife's like, don't you dare fucking ring me up like this. I'm looking after our kids and I've got all this stress going on and you're off fucking skiing around up there. You know, you know she's really like put him in his place. And there is that, there is, uh, there is an element of you don't want to, you know, that, that kind of communication backwards and forwards it should really be for for emergencies only and if someone if the worst thing to do is to say i'll try and ring you next week or I'll ring you every day or i'll send a message or whatever because if that if your technology breaks then and you don't send that message you know that's that's like living hell for someone on the other end they're just going to be this you what know, you know it's bad enough anywhere if you leave someone and you're going to do some scary shit somewhere uh, even if you just say, I'm going to text you, you know, you need to have like a, a rock solid, um, you know, I'll, t- I'll text you if I get killed. You need to do it something like that, another way around, really. So, you know, there's a lot of responsibility of how you're going to use that kind of technology. And another aspect of it is this idea of like, oh, yeah, I'll just pull the pin. I'm going to get rescued with this e-pair, whatever. But in my experience, when you want to get rescued, or when something is really, really bad is going on, there is no rescue available. So it, it can lead you into a false sense of, um, you know, like, you know, oh, don't worry. You know, like last last year, we nearly, well, we didn't need, you know, we were getting to the point where we had no food. And we'd had no food for, you know, basically we'd had like one bag of pasta. And I mean, like a small bag of pasta to last about seven days for two people. So for, I think for the first three days, we had some pasta for our breakfast. And then we, and then after three days, it had all run out. And then we just ate the last bits of trail mix we had. Then the last sort of two days, we didn't have anything to eat at all. But you're in the sort of survival mode. You're in a tent, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but the weather was so bad, there was no way anyone can get to us. Like even the, the US Air Force couldn't get into where we were. And... Eventually, you know, people would have to physically ski across these mountains to try and get to you with bringing you some food or something. So, I, I know, I know the other times would have been climbing where things have got really bad, and you thought this is the moment you pre- you probably need to get rescued. There's no way a helicopter's going to come and get you. And I remember a few years ago when I went to Greenland, you know, got caught in this pitterack, this storm that was just 
you know, it's like 120 mile an hour winds, you know, like her, her, horrendous kind of storm. And you just know that by the time, you know, once your tent's disintegrated and everything's blown away, like your boots and your pulk and your skis and the, everything, and you're just exposed in the elements, you're just going to be dead long before anyone comes to get you. You can press the button, but someone's just going to come looking for your body. So uh, it's really it's really important to fully protect yourself. Like in Antarctica, we built... Um, you know, we built like a wall that was probably, you know, like three feet thick and sort of five feet high, like all the way around the tents we had. And we also built an igloo, uh, which the igloo would, would would stand up to like horrendous kind of, uh, you know, more than a tent would do. We had an igloo and we made all these like preparations for something, you know, for something happening because you know that A, there's no rescue in Antarctica. Like if you have an, an, an accident on Ulvatana or you know, some mountain there. There's no one to come and rescue you at all. There's like people who could come, like the sh- the cook, you know, from the Russian base might be able to come and drag your body and put it in a plane, but there's no kind of technical rescue at all. So, so yeah, so, but yeah, at the same time, you, know, you could probably download your emails or, you know, we're watching like the mighty Boosh on, on our, on an iPod and stuff. So, so yeah, so, so yes, I'd, I'd be very, very careful. So what, what I... And another thing I'd be really careful of is 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 de- depending on technology. Now, what happens is you think, right, we're going to do this trip, we're going to go to this place, and we're going to take like a video camera, and we're going to take a laptop, and we're going to blog every day, and we're going to, you know, we need like a satellite phone, we have to like attach it to this computer, and then we need a solar panel, and then we need a thing so we can pl- plug the computer into the solar panel. And before you know it, you've got like fucking... 50 wires and you've got plugs and you've got stuff that turns up from amazon the day before you go nothing is you don't really you never actually use a satellite you never use the satellite phone properly you've never got the the uh you've never really charged anything with the thing and the more the more technology you have the more like i would i would i would consider any piece of technology you take as being broken 50 there's 50 percent chance it's going to be broken on that trip. So basically, what we have to do, we have to take two of everything. If you do, if you don't want to get like completely screwed by some technical malfunction, uh, you're going to take two of everything. So the only way to do that physically is to take the small amount of smallest amount of stuff as possible. So you know, having a so basically, if you have a instead of taking some like big camera, you know, if you've you can actually get like really good quality you know, footage from a compact Sony, you know, really good quality compact camera. And if that camera can be charged via USB, uh, like basically everything you want, everything you have has to be charged by USB. You don't want anything you have to plug into, you know, like a proper socket, like, a, you know, so you have to suddenly have an inverter and all that kind of stuff. So your your camera, your te- your your communications equipment. So I would, unless you've done it before and you know you, you've got the 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 strength and the wherewithal at the end of the day to write a blog and try and sit there fucking around trying to upload it from a satellite phone uh don't bother like just uh, you know either you know get a get a satellite phone and uh, communicate with someone verbally and get them to write it down you know re- write write it down what you're going to say ring someone someone read read it to them get them to post it on your blog or whatever but ideally, I'd even avoid using a satellite phone. I would just use something like a, an InReach, like an InReach Mini, 
which is pretty pretty cheap compared to the kind of trip you're going to go on. Like I would just take two in-reach minis, so you've got like redundancy. Uh, they both charge off a USB, and uh, you know, and I would I would just like go with those. I would communicate with those. You can use them as an EPUB, so you don't need to worry so much about not having carrying a separate EPUB. An EPUB is like a satellite location thing. You can do all sorts of stuff with it. Uh, if you're going to do a lot of writing via that, I would probably take a, a really cheap smartphone, like a thin smartphone. And I tend to find Samsung stuff works much better in the outdoors. Like if you want to do really fancy stuff and you, do, you are going to want to upload stuff, then I would probably take like a Samsung kind of tablet or something because I find they tend to work work better in you know those kind of temperatures. Uh, and if you're in a cold place, like everything has to be in a plastic bag because as soon as you bring it from the cold into the warm, it'll like water condenses on it. And there's loads of like stuff you need to learn. And if you don't know all that already, then don't take it because, you know, you just, you know, anything you take, you have to have used it and really understand how it works. Uh, like I would go and do a little mini trip, you know, go away, go, go away for a week and take all this technology and try and post blogs, try and make some films with your camera uh, you know, learn what maybe you need to take like a separate little microphone to get this better sound on a camera. Do you need like a little housing on your camera? You can put a little microphone on top of it and loads of little tiny things. But you want, you basically want like a communications package, you know, like, like make sure all your cables are not, uh, aren't going to break in the cold or, you know, you know, pick, get really small cables so they're lighter and they take up less space, zip tie them all together you don't lose them and all these kind of little things and you basically want like a system communication system that you can almost like fit in your in your pockets you don't want a big macbook pro and you don't want you know two iridium phones and uh you know like an inverter and you and when it comes to power i would i would consider instead of i tend to find that unless you go in the right kind of place then solar power is always a bit of a pain in the ass. It's never as good as it's advertised to be. So I would I would kind of more recommend just to maybe take a little bit more weight and just take some big uh, battery packs. And the same thing with the battery packs, I would make sure I'd use them lots of times before I went away. So Because you do get dud ones which just stop working. And, uh, you know, like I think on Denali we had, maybe we had three or four like biggish uh, battery packs and with those, we charged our head torches, we charged a lantern, we charged our in-reach, uh, our cameras, you know, we did everything. There was no way, uh, no way we were going to get like a, you know, a, a thingy to work, a, um, a, a dish, uh, what do you call it? Um, <laughs> one of those things, solar panel to work. And, and you know, you have your batteries, like mark, like mark everything, so everything's got a name, you know, or some, some identifying mark. And make sure that as you as you're running out of batteries, uh, you you know your final your final two batteries. You need like redundancy. They're the batteries which you're only going to recharge your um, your uh, your in reach and maybe your head torches or whatever. Um, because you know you'd, it's no it's no good not be able to communicate and get have to get rescued or die. But you've got like your cameras on full or whatever. So um, yeah, so yeah, so. And I think this this it reduces the stress if you have two of two of everything, you know, like it's and it's not like it's not it's not like massively expensive, like I think an inReach you can get one for like, are they like two hundred quid or something? They're 
they're probably that price is coming down. And you pay like I think it's like you pay like a, f- a yearly fee to register it, and then you only pay pay when you're going away. And you basically communicate by sending like a text message, and you can send it. I think you send it to an email address or a mobile phone, and uh, and it's quite good because because you can only send these like very small messages. Um, you know, someone can send you the weather every day, and you can pick it up, and you can just you know you can have pre preset messages if people want to know you're not dead and stuff. So yeah, so that's it. So um, uh, I think have, we, have I gone over my time anyway? Uh, yeah, so that, so that's it for this week. Um, if you want to support this podcast. Uh, and help me get a sponsor so I can pay for my uh, hosting this podcast then the best thing you can do is share it with friends and enemies and uh, and I've, I've got quite a lot of I've got a backlog of questions and I will try and I will try and answer them uh, as soon as I can and uh, but yeah but keep sending them in I'm sure every time I every time I do a podcast you probably questions come into your head or things i'm talking about probably not very clear about some things but no matter how many how no matter how no matter how stupid it is or obscure or seemingly unimportant i can talk shite about absolutely anything so anyway thank you very much and i'll talk at you soon bye Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.